Amen. As we get in the Word this morning, we're going back in some of the review of a couple of the teachings I've done on heaven. We're going to continue on on the heavenly vision. As Brother Stanley was bringing forth that Word in the first part of it, and he was talking about, I am the Lord, and I have purchased thee. I can't tell you what he was saying in comparison to what the Lord was saying to me this morning. You'd have to be in my head. You'd really have to be sitting with me at my desk as he was bringing forth that word. And even even as I was sitting before the Lord, and, and I'm going to, by the Lord's help, try to bring something out this morning. I, I, I see something of the Lord that's so powerful. And I'm going to do what I can to say it to you. And Brother Stanley, that word was right in line with what he was showing me. And we're going to get to it on over in it, but I'll, I'll, I'll read it to you. And then we're, we're going to go back. So I'm not going to really do a lot of commenting on it. Or I'll quote it to you, and then we'll go back. But in Colossians 2, and we'll get there in a little bit. It says that He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Yes. And I said, I, I'll try not to comment on it. Here I go. I'm going to make a comment, but we're going to get into it a little bit more in depth. Fullness of the Godhead bodily. Most of the time when people have read that, or many, much of the time when people have read that, they have applied it to Jesus as He walked the earth as the man of Galilee. Alright? What the Lord is really speaking in me was the fullness of the Godhead bodily applying it to Christ in the church. And we'll just get in that as we look in the Word. And last week we were talking about Paul's heavenly vision and one of the scriptures uh, we were looking at very strongly was in Second Chronicles. If you want to turn back there to Second Chronicles, chapter seven and verse fourteen, we'll just go back and review this because this is powerful. He says in Second Chronicles, uh, you, you, you know, this is this is Solomon when the house of God had been finished. And in verse 14, just start back at verse 11. Thus Solomon finished the house of Jehovah and the king's house and all that came into Solomon's heart to make in the house of Jehovah. And in his own house he prosperly effected. And Jehovah appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens, now who's shutting up the heavens? He said, if I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Heal their land. I'm not going to go through all that I did last week, but just to bring this back to your mind, 
or bring it, if you weren't here, to bring it to your mind. And if you were here, I would suggest you to get the CD and really listen to it. And even if you were here, not, I don't talk a lot about messages I preach, but I went back and listened to it. And I feel like it was one of the most complete words the Lord has ever given me. And I suggest you to go listen to it and search the Scripture. A lot of times when you get into uh, uh, teachings on heaven, you're going to step on toes. You're going to step on people's views. And, and, if, the Lord, and if the Lord's in it, then it's the Lord stepping on your toes. He may be using a vessel, but it's the Lord. And sometimes we, we have to search what we think with the Lord, with the Lord. But he said, if my people will turn, and I talked about this last week, the turning of the heart. Over and over in the Old Testament, when God was dealing with Jerusalem, the people of Jerusalem, the, the, the Israelites, he set his throne up in the temple. And again, just, just for allow me to refresh your memory, that throne was the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, the seat, the mercy seat, the Bible says in multiple places he was enthroned between the mercy seat, that, or between the cherubim on the mercy seat. So, so if I'm going to understand that, I have to go back and read it and study it. If I don't go back and read it and study it, I'm probably not going to have a whole lot of understanding of it. So, so he set his throne up in Jerusalem and he ruled by the law the words that he gave Moses. That's how he ruled them. And when they turned away from the law, when they turned away from the words that God had given to Moses, this is where all the pestilence, all the trouble, all the calamity would come upon the children of Israel. Over and over again, if you study your Bible, you'll find it. When they would turn to false gods, when they would turn their hearts away from the Lord, they would walk in calamity. They would walk in, 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 in despair and death and anguish. And all these things would be there because they were turning from His judgment, His Word, His throne. So, so when they would turn, when He said, when my people turn, you know, He said, toward this place. Over and over again, He talked about them turning toward that house, that temple. See, that place that He dwelt in. So, so what would be the first thing they would acknowledge when the heart would turn toward that place? That He is God alone. That would be the first thing, that there's no other God. They're turning because Israel, if you go back and study, over and over again, Israel turned to false gods. They turned over and over again, set up false gods, set up idols. So when it speaks of turning to this house, there's an acknowledgement that you are the Lord. You are Jehovah. You are the highest one. You are God. So they're turning toward Him. Turning toward that house. They were turning toward Him. And, and if you study the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and you really study it out, when Israel possessed the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, they were in strength and power. When they lost the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, their strength and power was gone because that represented His presence that their strength and power was His presence, was the almighty presence of God. So they would 
turn toward the Lord and acknowledge them, and He would heal their land. And there, in that old covenant, their lamb was a natural piece of ground that we've called the natural Israel. But in the new covenant, the land is right here. You. If you turn toward heaven, what does that mean to turn toward heaven? And and we talked about that last week. The heavenly vision. You agree with God's Word. You turn toward heaven. Anita was singing a song that I, I, I tell you is right out of heaven. I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. Because that new creation is founded upon the slain Lamb. That's what it's founded upon. There's no new creation, no brand new man until the Lamb of God is slain and raised from the dead. And what He brought forth was a new creation man. A brand new man. Because God was after a man that was be His own heart. That's what He was after. And when I say a man, I'm talking a many-membered man. So I'm not talking about one individual. I'm talking about a many-membered man. In the book of Exodus, He calls Israel His son. Israel is my son. Well, Israel at that time had grown into a whole nation of people, but God saw them as one. And see, what God is seeing is one new man, and this is a heavenly man. Not earthly, heavenly. And this, and this is the understanding that the church doesn't, much, many in the church don't understand, that they're a heavenly man. They believe, the church believes he's just an earth man. We read, we read it last week, the book of Job, you're, you're a, 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 a Old man full of few days and full of trouble. We, uh, I, I made this comment at funerals. A lot of times when someone dies that knows the Lord, they read the book of Job that you're a few days and full of trouble. And I, and I shared this at that some point in my life, I was preaching a funeral and I said, this person here is not a few days and full of trouble because they were born again of the Spirit of God. See, we associate ourselves with the first man. With, with, a, with our, ourselves according to our birth from our mother. That's how we associate ourselves. Christians do. Christians all the time associate themselves from their mother. Natural birth, natural mom, natural dad. When, in fact, the Apostle Paul over and over again associated you as the church, as a new man. And Jesus Himself said, or in the book of John, written in the book of John, not born of man, not born of the will of man. So it's not born a man. That's pretty powerful. Not born a man. He's pretty plain in the book of John. It's, it's John chapter 1. Not born a man, nor of the will of man. So man doesn't even have a will in this. 
So man's will doesn't even come into play. So it moves you from man's will to God's will. It's not man's will. That's a, And I don't have this down, but if you flip over to John 1, I'll find it so I don't butcher it. Flip to St. John chapter 1. St. John chapter 1, verse 12. Start there. But as many as received Him. St. John chapter 1, verse 12. Who? As many as received Him. What happened to them? To them gave He the right, this is American Standard Version, to them gave He the right to become children of God, even to them that believe on His name, who were born, not of blood. Not of what? Not of blood. Nor of the will of flesh. Nor of the will of man. And that's powerful. So man's will can't even get into the new creation. See, because man's will will bring the old man there. You know, you know that's why this man's will could never get into the new creation. Because man's will will bring the old man there. Because that's what, that's what he always wants to do, is show God the old man and say the old man pleases God. But it won't move. It won't go there. So, so here we go. But of God. They're born of God. And I said this to you last week. If you've been born of God, is that an earthly birth or is that a heavenly birth? What's greater, God or heaven? When we go into the order of God, who's greater, God or heaven? God is. So if God's people would change their, their view just a slight little bit, it may get a whole lot better now. Yes. That I might know Him. Yes. Instead of I want to make heaven my home, that I might know Him. Because if I know Him, I'm going to know everything heaven has. That's the reality. If I know Him, I'm going to know everything heaven has in knowing Him. knowing Him. That's what the Gospel's about. Your new birth, when you're born again, you're born again by Him. You're not born again of your mother's womb. You were born naturally of your mother and father. And thank God for mothers and fathers. I'm a father and I've got a son here today that I love. And thank God that I have that position in the earth. But thank God I come to an understanding of a heavenly Father. And that's not just words, see. So so many people talk about the heavenly Father and they've had no encounter with God. They're just talking because they've read a word in the Bible. And they and, and I had conversations where people attribute it because God created man that he's the Father. No, no, no. He's the Father because he birthed Christ. He birthed a son. And actually, he birthed a many-membered son, a many-membered man. 
See, he was God the Creator, Elohim. If you go back in the Bible, he's called Elohim. But he became the Father when he birthed his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he created the natural and the heavenly. But before all that was created, it was Him. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man. Right? So, as we move on down here, and we come, and we approach the Father, we, we now, you know, we approach the Father in the understanding that I'm a son of God, I'm a child of God. He gave us the right to be children of God. So if I'm born again, God does not look at me as an old man. He looks at me in the completed work of Christ. That's how He looks at me. So His view of me is in the completed work of Christ. The problem is that's not my view of me. See, my view of me is myself. My issue is my view. That I haven't come to God's view. That's my issue. But God has given me His Spirit that we might know what? That we might know the things that be of God. Not the things that be of us, but the things that be of God. That's what He's given us His Spirit to know. But how many, when they seek the Father, do they sit down and say, Father... Show me the things of God. Show me your Son. Reveal your Word. For many years, that was not my prayer life. My prayer life was, God, do this for me. God, get me this. God, get me out of this trouble. God, get me out of this calamity. And I'm not telling you I don't say that sometimes. I'm sure I do. I'm not telling you that never comes out of my lips. But that's not the majority of my prayer life anymore. Somewhere my prayer life changed and my communion with the Lord began to be, Father, show me Your Son. Show me Your Word. Reveal Your Word, Your eternal Word to me. Make Him known. You know, first is make it known and it become to be a Him. Make Him known. So, so what does the Apostle Paul and move over to Acts 26. What's, what in the world is Apostle Paul talking about a heavenly vision? Well, Acts 26. And for time's sake, I won't read the whole chapter. I, I'd like to, but I won't. And, but you should. You should write this down and go and read it. And question it. I had someone recently tell me we don't question God. And I said, I question, I, I, I question the Lord. I think you should question God. Not in a bad way, but I think you should question God. God, what does this mean? Help me understand. I don't understand. Why did this happen? Because He's got an answer for you. He really does. Anyway, we come on down to the Apostle Paul. And 
Start verse 9, 26, 9. It says, I barely thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And Paul's talking about himself as Saul of Tarsus going out to persecute the Christians. And he says, And this I also did in Jerusalem, and I both shut up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my vote against them. And punishing them oftentimes at all the synagogues, I strove to make them blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto foreign cities. This is the Apostle Paul. He's telling you what he did. So sometimes we get caught up in what somebody else has done and bad things people have done. Well, listen, Apostle Paul did naturally some pretty bad things if you want to get on with it. But he probably became God probably became very pleased with him at some point. Okay, so so God kind of wiped the slate of Paul clean. Okay, so so go and read what Paul did. He 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 consented unto death of many Christians. Okay. And, and punishing them oftentimes in all the synagogues, I strove to make them blaspheme, and being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto foreign cities. Verse 11. Whereupon, as I journeyed. So my journey was to persecute Christians. Whereupon, as I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven. Above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them that journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice saying unto me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now, now, now you hear this. Jesus didn't say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute my church? He didn't say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute those that believe on me? He said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, who was he persecuting? He was persecuted. He just told you before he was persecuting the Christians, the believers, the church. And Jesus identified them as me. That's, that's what the church doesn't hear. That's what Jesus even prayed in John 17, that they may be one even as what? We are one. So, so you're talking about one that sticketh closer than a brother. We quote those scriptures loosely, really. Without what I mean loosely, without much understanding. We, we go around and we quote these scriptures, but he says, Why dost thou persecute me? It is hard for thee to kick against the goat. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And I, and I would have to say, Paul probably said, Jehovah. 
Now, I may be wrong, but that's he was a Jew, and their name for Lord was Jehovah. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. So here's Paul's heavenly vision. He didn't, he didn't and let me, let me clear this up for you. He didn't just say, I'm the Christ. Because there's a view in the heavens that's out here in Christianity. Well, the Christ and Jesus are separate. He didn't identify Him and just say, I'm the Christ. He said, I am Jesus. Now, I understand what they're talking about, the anointing of Christ, that Christ speaks of the anointing, the Holy Spirit, the eternal Spirit of God, because that's what Jesus was anointed with when He was called the Christ. But Jesus is the Christ. And that's where a lot of, a lot of believers for some reason, they can't wrap themselves around that. That, yeah, He was a man of Galilee. Yes, He was Jesus of Nazareth. But this Jesus I'm talking about, He's not just the man of Galilee. That He was. He is the Christ. He is the Eternal One. And that's what Paul encountered, is he had a heavenly vision, and he saw the Christ. Now, I want you to flip it. Now, you can go down and read the rest of that. And Paul said he was obedient. Well, I want to read one piece here. And he says, Wherefore, verse 19, Wherefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. And I want to make a point here. It's like I said with Abram back some months ago when Abram was told to get out of thy country, out of thy land, Unto the land that I will show thee, he was what? Obedient. See, Paul could have had an encounter with the Lord and not been obedient. See, I've, I've, heard, I've heard people say, well, Apostle Paul was chosen of God. But Paul makes it clear he was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. In other words, when the Lord appeared to Paul, Paul said, Who art thou, Lord? And changed. And when the Lord appeared to him, I don't, I, he doesn't say here he saw a man. He said, I saw a light from heaven. And he identified the Lord as the light from heaven. He saw a great light. Brighter than the sun. Amen. So let's go over to the Apostle John, over to Revelation chapter 1. Because I, I fully am persuaded, I can't put this in words, but I'm persuaded that John and Paul probably saw the same thing. And that Paul's writings are right along with John's in the book of Revelation. In verse Revelation 1.10, and then we're going to turn down to chapter 4 and then chapter 5. But Revelation 1.10, I want you to catch the first part of Revelation 1.10. I was for in what? What was John in? The Spirit. On the Lord's day. And in the Spirit he heard, what did he hear? 
he heard behind him a great voice. And what did this voice sound like? A trumpet. He heard a voice as a trumpet in the Spirit. Now get a hold of this. He didn't just hear a voice as a trumpet. He heard it in the Spirit. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, he heard this voice say, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, Pergamos, Theatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And I turned. Notice what he did. I turned to see the voice. And when John turned to see this voice, everything with the Apostle John changed. Whenever someone turns to see the voice, they're going to change. Their speech is going to change. Their heart's going to change. Their mind's going to change. Because they're going to be encountering the revelation of Jesus Christ. And what did he see when he turned? And being turned, I saw seven go to candlesticks. And in the midst of the candlesticks, what was in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks? One light unto the Son of Man. And he goes through and describes him. And for right now, I won't go through all the description. But he saw him in the midst. Because I'm telling you that the seven golden candlesticks are the seven churches. Where did he see Christ at? In the midst of the church. So when he turned to see the voice, he sees Christ in the midst of the church. He tells you the seven golden candlesticks are the seven churches. And I'm telling you, when you turn to see the voice, you're going to see Christ in the midst of the church. That's where you're going to find Him. Through the years, one of my favorite songs we've ever we 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 sing is "Walk in the Spirit of the Lord," and you'll see Jesus. You'll find him. who you're looking for. You're going to find when you walk in the Spirit. Yes, sir. You'll encounter him. You'll see him. You won't see him out of natural eyes, but you'll see him out of the Spirit. You will encounter the Lord. Now, I wrote down in my notes the prerequisite of hearing the voice of the trumpet is being in the Spirit. I can't hear the voice of the trumpet unless I'm in the Spirit. John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and he heard a voice as a trumpet. So I need to be in the Spirit and hear the voice. And that voice says to John, Come up hither, chapter 4, After these things I saw, and behold, a door opened in heaven, chapter 4, and the first voice I heard here again, was he here? A voice as of a trumpet. So here again, he hears a voice as a trumpet speaking with me and saying, Come up hither, and I will show thee the things which must come to pass hereafter. Stop right here. This has been taught for years. This is the rapture taking place. I want you to see something. 
want you to stop here for a minute. Come up hither, and I'll show you the things that shall be hereafter. Straightway, what did John say? Straightway, I was in the Spirit. Where'd John go? The Spirit. So he was called, when he heard the voice, he was called up in the Spirit. And by the Spirit he sees, and he says, And behold, there was a throne set in heaven, and one sitting upon the throne, and he that sat on, sat was to look like a jasper stone and sardius. So God, if, if this is literal, God looks like a stone. A jasper stone, a sardius stone. There was a rainbow round about the throne, like an emerald to look upon. An emerald rainbow. And round about the throne were four and twenty thrones, and above the thrones I saw four and twenty elders sitting, arrayed in white garments, and on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings. So So here's lightnings coming from the throne, and voices and thunders. And there were seven lamps of fire. Here's what I want to get to. There were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. Now get this. What are these seven lamps of fire? Well, he tells you. Which are the seven spirits of God. So you have seven lamps of fire, and they're burning, so they're fire, right? So did John, was John seeing literal fire? Maybe he wasn't. God was showing him the reality of what the literal fire was. But he said these seven lamps of fire are the seven spirits of God. Now, come on down to chapter 5. Flip over to chapter 5. And start at verse 1. And so we got God on the throne, right? There's a lot to search out there because he looks like a, a stone. And, well, this just kind of jumped up at me, and Daniel saw a stone cut out of a mountain. And here God on the throne looked like a stone. Maybe, maybe God was the stone cut out of the mountain Daniel saw, but that can be for another time. And he says, and I saw, Revelation 5.1, and I saw, notice again, John saw, I saw in the right hand of him that sat upon the throne a book written within, and on the back closed, sealed with seven seals. He saw a book written, closed, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a great voice, Who's worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look thereon. And I wept much because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold the lion that is of the tribe of Judah. So is Jesus a literal lion? Lion? The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Is he a root? A literal root? So what you see, this is symbolic language is my point. Jesus is not a literal lion. 
and he's not a literal root. The root of David have overcome to open the book and the seven seals thereof. And I saw in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders a lamb standing. What does he see in the midst of the throne? A lamb standing as though it had been slain. Having what? Seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. So now John sees a lamb possessing the seven spirits of God. You know, before he saw the seven spirits of God before the throne. But as he kept looking, he sees the book written within and without that no one could open. If you go back to Isaiah, God said he looked for a man. Like Isaiah 32, somewhere along there, he looked for a man, but none could be found. So he said, I'll do it by myself, by my own strength. I'll bring salvation. Go back and read your Bible. So now this Christ has the seven spirits of God. What does that mean? The fullness of the Godhead bodily dwelleth in Him. That's what John is seeing. The fullness, This is the same thing the Apostle Paul declares and where I told you we're going to get to. He sees in the midst of the throne a lamb slain. And he sees him slain. And I told you last week, what was Paul's message? His entire message that Paul preached was what? He said, he said I determined to know what? Nothing among you but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So when he saw the heavenly vision, his determination was for you to know Jesus Christ. Now is that your view of heaven? A lamb slain in the midst of the throne. No, no, that's we we've not been told that is heaven. A slain lamb, have we? Heaven, God said, is what? My throne. He said by the prophet Isaiah, heaven is my throne. So what does God bring into the midst of his throne? He brings a slain lamb. And so Paul had a heavenly vision. And why this is so powerful, folks, is because you are in that heavenly vision. You have been brought into Christ crucified. Do you believe that? How did you get into Christ crucified? By His Spirit. Right? You've been brought into Christ crucified. Now, did you get there by your natural ability? Or did you get there by the ability of God? And we, we read it before. As many as received Him gave He the power to become the sons of God or the children of God. As many as received Him gave He the power, the right to be children of God to them that believe on His name. So He brings us into Christ crucified. 
So what does that mean, Christ crucified? That means the old is done away and the new is brought forth. See, that's a heavenly vision. The old being done away and the new coming forth is not an earth. earthly vision can't see this. See, the natural mind can't see that God did away with an old man and brought forth a new man. Doesn't see it. Because he's earthly So if I'm earthly, I can't see the things of God. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. Unless you be born again, you cannot see. You can't do what? You cannot see. So in order to see here, I have to be born from above. I have to be born again. I have to be born of God. But So if I'm born of God, I now have the ability to see. Otherwise, I can't see. And, you know, we, we, we Christians have walked around for years and say they know to do right. Well, they know right and wrong, but they don't know the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is spiritual. And if any man has not the Spirit of Christ, they are none of his. See, we've made the things of God about just doing right and wrong. Instead of knowing God, we've made it right and wrong. That's what we've done. That's what religion has taught us. It's just about doing right and wrong. No, it's about knowing Jesus. It's a little bit more than knowing and doing right and wrong. It's about knowing Him by the Spirit. Now that'll address right and wrong. That'll address certain issues. Because he has a different nature. But it's a whole lot bigger than right and wrong. A whole lot. Because all, all we've been taught, or I, I shouldn't say all we've been taught, much of what we were taught, I mean we haven't taught that here for years, so let me be careful. Much of what we were taught younger as a child was doing good enough works and someday when I die or when Jesus comes, I'll get to go to heaven. But you come in the counter with the slain lamb and something happens. You begin to preach a new creature. You begin to preach a new creation because when you see the slain lamb, that's what's there. A new creature created of God in Christ Jesus. And the, and the Lord saying, Behold, I make what? How much new? All things new. So if He made all things new, would He have been made a new heaven and a new earth if He made all things new? How much did He make new? All, but see, but see, we we try to we try to understand it with the physical eye. We try to look out here like they did with Jesus, and with Jesus they said, "When's the kingdom of God going to come, Jesus?" And he said, "Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for be." And notice what he said. He said, "Behold, behold what? Behold him." 
Behold, the kingdom of God is where? Within you. But how many of God's people even know that? I'm not talking about the sinner. I'm talking about God's people, born again, spirit-filled people of God. How many of them are walking out and telling the other members, you are in the kingdom of God? You have entered into God's kingdom. That's where you are. How do I get there? By His Spirit. Had nothing to do with my flesh. It has everything to do with His Spirit. Everything to do with his Spirit. That's what our salvation has to do with this, His Spirit. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. You, you, you can preach for an hour on the first verse 6. Colossians 2, 6. Colossians 2, verse 6. It says, As therefore ye received Christ Jesus the Lord. What did you receive? Who did you receive? You get a little bit of Jesus? As therefore ye received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk. We're at? In Him. We're at? In Him. No, I'm going to walk in my flesh. Well, then I'm not walking towards the heavenly vision. I'm refusing God. I don't realize it, but I'm really refusing God. Refusing God. If I understand this and won't walk in it, that's what I'm really doing. I'm just—I'm like old Israel. I've received the Word, but I won't walk in the Word. So he says, As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted, we're at rooted and build it up in Him. Where am I rooted at? I'm rooted in Him, I'm building Him, and established in your faith even as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Take heed lest there shall be any one that maketh spoil of you. What do you mean take heed? Be careful, watch out, lest someone make spoil of you through his philosophy, through their philosophy, or vain deceit. So someone can spoil you from the truth that you're in Christ Jesus. How? By their philosophy or their vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. What's it after, though? It's after the traditions of men, and, and this brings something to my mind, and I'm going to keep on in here, but, I'm, but I've shared this before, of a many years ago preaching for a guy and a lady saying, everything you were saying was in the Word, but I don't believe it that way. After the traditions of men, see, a lot of our teaching, a lot of our belief, when I began to preach, I didn't preach after the revelation of Christ when I began. The only reality of the revelation of Christ that was in me was I was born again. Then when I was filled with the Spirit, I was filled with the Spirit. But I, I didn't have the revelation of Him. So what did I teach after? I taught after the traditions of men, the traditions of Pentecostal holiness. That's what I was in. So I taught it. What I knew, what I'd heard, what I believed. Now I think Paul's even 
Gillum and Moore, the tradition of the Jews, Judaism, which a lot of our religion is, 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 is called up in, is Judaism. Judeo-Christians, you, you hear Christian people talk about being Judeo-Christian. Apostle Paul never writes such nonsense as Judeo-Christians. <laughs> he never agreed with that or taught that. So he says, after tradition men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in Christ, in Him, dwells what? All the fullness. How much? How much is all the fullness of the Godhead? There ain't no more God. See, we look for God outside of Christ, right? But Paul says, in Him dwells how much? All the fullness of God. The Godhead bottle. If you look up this word Godhead, it actually, I believe, comes from the word Theos, and it's interpreted three different times Godhead. And it actually means, and it has little different ends at the end of it, uh, which gives us little slight different meanings, but it means all the divinity, all the, all the divine one, all the deity. That in Him dwells all the deity bodily. What's His body? We should jump up and down right now. The church, which is what? His body. How much of Him does Paul write? The fullness of Him that fills all and in all. That's a lot of Christ. The church, that's His body, the fullness of Him. But it, for in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and, and in Him, verse 10, and in Him you are made full or complete. So where are you full? Where is your completion? In Him. Who is the head of all principality and that power? Notice this. Again, we start off with heaven, so I'm, I'm talking to you about heaven right now, even though I'm not saying the word heaven. This is heaven. This ain't earth. Notice this. He doesn't say that we're going to be complete when we all get to heaven, does he? No. He says our completion is where at? In Christ. That we're complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power, in whom... And then He brings you in view of the cross. He says Christ has the fullness of the Godhead bodily, that all of God is in Christ, that all deity is in Christ. And then what does He do? He brings you right into view of the cross, and he, and he brings you and He says, in whom you were circumcised, with a circumcision not made with hands, in the putting off of the body of the flesh. See, see here, here, here he's, he's talking about what John saw in the book of Revelation, the sevenfold Spirit of God, the fullness of God in Christ, and he, and he ultimately goes to the cross and he says, In Him, in whom you were, you were circumcised in a circumcision not made with hands in the putting off of the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. Christ's circumcision is He put off the body of the flesh. Having been buried with Him in baptism, wherein ye were also raised with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. You were also raised. 
You were raised. Read this again. You were raised. How many Christians believe they were raised? You were raised with Him from what? The dead. And you being dead through your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, you, I say, did He make alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, having blotted out the bond written in ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and He, he hath taken it out of the way, nailing it to His cross, having despoiled the principalities and the power, He made a show of them openly, triumphing over in them. I think this is all, if you go back and, and read all the Scriptures and Psalms and Isaiah about the Lord being exalted, I think this is it, folks. He made a show of them, triumphing over them in it. Let no man, notice what He says here, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink, or in respect of a feast day, or a new moon, or a Sabbath day. Now I used to get judged on the Sabbath day. I've, told, I've said this story. My, my, my precious grandmother that I love with all my heart, she called me one Sunday, because to her that was the Sabbath day, and she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm mowing my grass. And she said, don't you know today's the Sabbath? Well... I've said something, I can't remember the words. Mama, Jesus is my Sabbath day. I've come to the rest of God in Him. It's not Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. He fulfilled the day of rest. And He brought me into God's rest. Where I could rest from my labors and stand in His. See, that's what true rest is, is moving from your labor and standing in His labor. See, because we labored to enter into rest. Do you realize that? Now here, I've, I've stretched off from this, but we're going to come back here, but I'm going to stretch off for a minute longer because this is important. You've labored. You read these Scriptures, be ye holy, especially if you come from a Pentecostal background. We love to preach them. Be ye holy for... He is holy, right? You never heard that, you laughed. Yeah, you have. I heard that a lot. Be ye holy, for God is holy. And then we labored and labored and labored to be holy. I've told the story many times with Brother Jimmy Harmon, who I came in contact with years ago, and he asked me to come do some work, and I just began to hear some spiritual teaching. First, begin to hear it of the Lord, and the Lord partner and be up with Brother Jimmy for a while. And Brother Jimmy asked to come up on the mountain and do some work. But Brother Jimmy had his shirt unbuttoned about right here with no t-shirt on. Short sleeve shirt. It's about 95 degrees out. My Pentecostal mind began to say what kind of what is this man doing? Indecent. Now that was in my mind. I may not say those very words, but that's what shot through my mind. Because I've been trained in that way of religion, in that way of thought. Never bothered Brother Jimmy at all. Truth be told, I had on a long sleeve, thick cotton shirt, much thicker than this one. 
and it's about 90-some degrees, and Brother Jimmy was feeling a whole lot better, probably in the Lord and in the natural, than Brother Wayne was. Because I was roasting, man. But I was holy, Brother But I was holy. See, but that, that projection, what, why I'm saying this is, be holy for I am holy. See, see, the projection in us is, is we have to attain it. No, we attain Him. We receive Him. He is our holiness. Now, He may change my conduct. I'm not, I'm not permitting you to have bad conduct when I talk about receiving Him. I'm not saying that. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. But a lot of their religious views isn't, isn't conduct God's worried about anyway. They're just religious views that have been thrown on us by the tradition of our fathers. They've been thrown down on us. We've walked in them, and we've labored to come to rest, and we can't find any rest. We can't find no rest for our soul because our labors were not good enough. So we enter into His rest. In other words, we enter out of our works into His work. And his work was good enough. He died and it pleased God. He was buried and rose from the dead. That pleased God. I enter into his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and now I am pleasing to my Father through him. Not through me. I'll never get there through me. I'll never attain it through me. And religion will always point you to yourself. And religion will always keep you in condemnation. But He's given us liberty. So let's flip back to Colossians. It says, Triumph, verse 16, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a feast day or a new moon or a Sabbath day. And see, all this was the stuff under the law. All this was the stuff under the law. And He said, Let no man judge you there, which are a shadow... They were a shadow of the things to come. So, that, so while they were enacted upon the earth, they were shadowing, they were set forth of God as a shadow, as a type, as a uh, symbol of what was coming. But the body, what was coming was the body. The body is Christ. Let no man rob you of your prize. What, what prize are you getting robbed by? Christ. You're getting robbed of the prize of being the body of Christ. That's a good prize. You've attained a good prize. You're a member of the body of Christ. Don't let nobody rob you of that. By voluntary humility and worshiping the angels dwelling in things which he has seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind, which he's not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind, and not holding fast the head from whom the whole from whom all the body being supplied and knit together through the joints and band increases with what? With the increase of God. So the body is increasing with God. So you don't think teaching can rob you? Evidently, it can rob you, man. As Apostle Paul is saying first, when, when he starts here in Colossians 2, he presents Christ as the fullness of the Godhead. How many people 
really believe that? Just talking to you plain. Most Christians, or many Christians, they don't believe the fullness of God in Christ. They believe He's part of God. They do. They believe He's part of God. But Paul, but Paul says He's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And it's bodily. So the fullness of God is in the body of Christ. Of His fullness we have received in grace for grace. So the fullness of God is increasing in the body through the knowledge of Christ. So God is increasing through the knowledge of Christ. See, see this, this messes with their teaching. And, it, and it, really, it really slapped me over the head years ago, Brother Andrew. It slapped me hard. Because I was, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm trying not to let this cat out of the bag and hear I'm, hear I'm going. I was a hardcore Trinity preacher. Hardcore, man. I believed Trinity. There were three of them. If you come sit down with me and we talked about God, the Godhead, what we naturally call the Godhead, I would tell you that. And I had an encounter. This is where the encounter, the revelation, the Word began to come to me. And I'm sitting before the Lord and I tell the Lord, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take the truth, Lord. This is what I told the Lord. I will take the truth. Show me the truth. Took me to Isaiah 9. And I said that read, looked at Isaiah 9 over and over that's rolling in the eye. Isaiah 9, unto us, a child is born and the son is given. The government shall be upon his children. His name. What's his name? The name of the, of the child that was born and the son that was given. Jesus. His name shall be called Wonderful, Isaiah said. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And the Lord spoke to me that night, and He said, Who am I? That's what He said. And I said in my spirit, I don't know if I said it out loud, but inside I said, You're Jesus. <laughs> That's who you are. Anita, I, wa- I walked up and I started telling her what had happened to me. And I've told this story to some of you. You've heard it. And they called Jesus' name people New Lights. And I went to Anita and I said, Anita, I've seen the new light. I didn't get it. Brother, nobody come to my home and said, this is how you have to believe. God showed me. And you sit in my meetings many times, and you never know I believe this. Why I'm sharing this out loud with you today, you know. So you sit in my meetings, and I never harp on, or rarely ever do I harp on the God yet. Do I ever get into conflict with that? Because it creates conflict. And I'm not about creating conflict, I'm about bringing you to the knowledge of Christ. And my heart is to come to the knowledge of Christ. And there's much in the Bible that I don't understand. So I'll be the first to sit down with you and tell you there's much of this book I don't understand and God can correct me. I'll let him. I really will. So, so when I share this with you, I don't do this to be controversial. I ask you to search. 
search the Word. So see, it was all in the Word. God, God was in the Word from the beginning. And John tells that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word that was God in the beginning was made flesh. And we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Why, why did we do that? Why did He do that? So He could bring us to Himself. See, see that that was that was God's purpose from the from from the whole beginning was to bring a people to Himself. That was His purpose in man. What's your thought toward man? His thought toward man was to have a people in His image and nature and character that He was their God and they are His people. That was His thought from the beginning when He made man. He put that thought in motion that through the cross. Notice that when I said when He made man, not when, he, not when Adam sinned, but when He made man, that through the cross I'm going to bring a people to Myself. Because I'm going to show my love. I'm going to lay down my life. So my so His cross had to come from the beginning to bring us into a full awareness of who He is. I believe that. He chose us in Him from the foundation, before the foundation of the world, in the book of Ephesians. It was how He was going to get us in Him. He was going to get us in Him through the cross. See, the cross is bigger than just the place that Jesus forgave our sins. It is that. I agree with that. If I don't come and receive Him as Savior, I have no quote, Jesus says, for my sins, right? So I come and receive Him as Savior. And, I, and I'm winding down, folks. Just give me a few more minutes. I'm winding down here. So, so in my initial walk in the Lord, I receive Him as Savior for my sins, right? And everybody has to do that. I believe that wholeheartedly, that you must confess the Lord Jesus Christ. You must believe on Him to be saved. I believe God's Word. But it's bigger than that. It doesn't end there. When I say it's bigger than that, it has a greater magnitude than than just He saved me for, you know, He forgave my sins. It has the magnitude that when He died, I died with Him. That not only He forgave my sins, He delivered me from How did He deliver me from my sins? Because I died with Him. And if I know the fullness of His death, I become dead to the world. You know, Paul said that I am dead to the world. Because Paul under Paul had a revelation of the Lord, he had a heavenly vision. And he said that, that, that he was crucified to the world, and the world was crucified to him. So if I if I understand this in his fullness, I come to a fullness of it. He not only forgives me of sins, but he delivers me from these sins because I'm dead to the world. I'm crucified to the world, and the world is crucified. And I'm not saying I've apprehended that or comprehended all that. I'd be lying to you if I told you I had. But I see that. I see that. That's our victory over sin is His death. It's not just that His blood washes our sins away, and it does. Again, I don't want to take anything away without, without the shedding of blood. 
There is no remission of sin. But His death brings us to a reality that we can overcome sin. Why? Because you died with Him, and Paul said you not only died with Him, but what else did He say happened? You were buried. That means you put your weight. You know, you know. sometimes you, you may pray to God, God, I hate what I am. Well, guess what? He put you away. He said, thank you, God, for putting me away. I hate what I am. Maybe we should change your prayer. Thank you for putting me away, Lord. You buried me. I agree with you. You buried me. You, you, you crucified me. You buried me. And you raised me in a new man where Christ is my life. So if I see a new man where Christ is my life, man, I'm in a pretty good place. I'm in a pretty good place. I got something real good. What I got is victory. I've got life. How did, then you can say, how do you shall flow what? River. Of living water. Why? Because he's my life. The river of living water is my life. He's living in me. So, so yeah. So, so we, we think it's just like the Lord, well, you know, sharing how the Lord has shown me things through the years of Brother Stanley's last week. And I'm sitting there talking about down through the years how this one thing had happened on my job and God had spoke to me. And, it, and He gave me dreams and He spoke to me and all these things came about. And the Lord spoke in me uh, something to the measure. And you think this is a big deal. What he was saying to me, son, I want to speak to you all the time. <laughs> you, you, you're amazed. See, we're amazed at what God does. Well, that's what he said. He said, you're going to know my voice. Anita shared that about praying for someone that was, uh, that, that was what, uh, immediately healed. Anita was immediate. And, and someone else said something about it, but, but immediate. And, and, and Anita kind of said, that's what God does. See, see we, we act like this is, this, this is God. This is who He is. He's miraculous. He is beyond everything we can exceedingly imagine. But everything He is, He will show us by His Spirit. See, we can get into that. Yeah, He's beyond my imagination. But He doesn't want to be in your imagination. He wants to be in your reality. See, He wants to move from your imagination to your reality. That He is your reality. Ain't that something? God wants to be your reality. So your reality of living is Him. Christ, who is our life. Paul writes. What Paul saw something. Christ, who is our life, shall appear. We shall appear with Him in His glory. In His glory. Glory to God. Anyway, I have to stop here. You know, this this we'll, we'll go on in it. Uh, you, you know, when the, next time I minister, Lord willing.